Welcome to the Known Experience. Today we're with Brian Carpenter, who's coming to us from Montana, but they have Refuge Foundation, which is retreat locations in Montana and Wyoming. We'll talk more about that. Uh, but Brian, uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Where exactly are you coming to us at this moment? Yeah, hey guys, I'm actually coming uh, to you guys from Montana today. Uh, actually in the middle of the Crow Indian Reservation, uh, one of our locations here just outside of Fort Smith, Montana. So uh, yeah, it's a it's a beautiful place. Looking out the window here today, we have a beautiful, finally some beautiful weather, 75 degrees and sunshine here finally after being snowed in all winter. But uh, yeah, we're in the middle of the 10,000 square mile Crow Indian Reservation, just about 45 minutes from uh, Custer's Battlefield. So it's a unique place uh, here for sure here in Montana. Wow. Are you a native? Yeah. Born and raised in uh, Billings. I actually came uh, this morning uh, up here from, we, we also have a home in Billings, Montana, where I was born and raised about uh, an hour and 15 minutes from here. But uh, one of our kids got us to school out here. And um, one of our other, our son uh, who's 12, he, he homeschools. So I had to bring my daughter to school this morning, but yeah, so we're excited about ready to kick off our men's season. And we run our men's season from about like Easter to Thanksgiving. So it's a, about to get real busy. So just like everything, uh, refuge wasn't born out of overnight. So, so what was your catalyst for all this? You know, what's the background? Well, I think sometimes the best things are always started out of pain at some level. You know, mm -hmm. I think if things don't work for you, they're not going to work, you know, for someone else. And I think too many people are trying to start things or start movements or start businesses or start programs out of a good idea out of, rather than, you know, out of something that actually works for you. And so for me, like when I get off this, you know, time with you guys, I'm, I'm going to spend the afternoon fishing, you know, I'll probably just be by myself, maybe with a few of our staff guys, you know, they got the day off today and, and I'm going to be on the river today. So, you know, for, for me, I've, I've just found that connection with uh, brothers, with, you know, friends, um, you know, to be something that's still magical for me. It's still, you know, formative and still shaping me and still, bringing me life and so for me it's just you know started I wasn't planning on starting anything I was just wanting to get some rest and some community and some a place where I can have some authentic friendships and relationship with some guys and so in 2004 started fishing with a few buddies there's five of us and um, you know fished on the Yellowstone River and um, those you know group of guys were like man we gotta do this again next year and so we stayed together for 10 years same group of guys still some of my best friends in the in the world and guys I'm closest with and so you know, I think if you're going to offer something to somebody else, you're going to treat somebody else the way you want to be treated. I think for us, we couldn't find a place to go to. We'd been to all the conferences. We'd been to all the things, the retreats. The, and it was almost like you had to like pay a price to go to all this uh, stuff you didn't really want to go to. So you could actually just hang out in the evenings with your buddies and have a conversation, <laughs> smoke a cigar and drink a beer and talk about the things you actually wanted to talk about. And so you had to pay the price all day to be able to get to that time. And so we just created a place that we want to go to. We're like, man, if you could dream up your favorite place, like you, you're like the thing you would want to do the worst with your favorite people on the planet, eat the foods you want to eat, do the things you want to do. Like, what would you create? And so for us, like we just were out doing it for ourselves. We're like, this is what we want to do. And um, come to find out there's a lot of other people that, that uh, find that intriguing and life giving as well. So, um, you know, last year, I think we did about 1800 liters from around the world and, um, you know, Africa, South America, all over the U.S. at two locations, you know, 65 full-time staff. It's just become uh, something, you know, we got probably 1,000, 1,500 guys on waiting lists right now waiting to come out. So, um, 
I think it's, and we don't, we know we have no marketing, social media sucks. Our website's even worse. You know, um, I'm just trying to make the website worse and worse. Um, cause it's just, you know, either it's special and people want to be a part of it or it's not. And, you know, the way we've grown is just word of mouth. You know, people come, they come back, bring their friends. And, um, so it's just been a, a sweet season for us the last 10 years of really moving into place where we can take care of our friends and their friends. Yeah. I mean, I, I noticed that, right. There's, there's, like you said, no marketing, uh, websites, super minimal, uh, which is hundred percent against the flow now, right. Every, every web guy and SEO guy would be like, what are you doing? You know, you're missing the opportunity. Yeah. But I think to your point, um, when you offer something that is for the right people, one, right. Um, and it's authentic and it's up in its approach. It, it all, all the right people will find it and will be there. Um, and so I, you know, I, I respect that, uh, quite a bit. Right. So what, what have you, what have you done, um, for yourself, right over the build when you're the facilitator and the host, a lot of times, um, you go into that mode and even when, even when it's something about taking care of these guys, maybe you wouldn't possibly neglect yourself because you, you get so busy and facilitating. Do you, do you kind of keep a strict schedule um, and, and parameters for, for your own care, right? Um, in this leadership position. Mm-hmm, season? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I get that question a lot and I think, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to understand the spirit, I think um, with how we engage because we're not trying to provide a program or experience for someone else. We're actually trying to live our lives live our lives out in front of other people. And so, mm. you know, I think where people get in a, in a dangerous places sometimes is when they try to fabricate something that's an experience or uh, is benefiting somebody else in some way, but is not a benefit to themselves. So like when I'm at the table, like, you know, I host the table, you know, two, three, four nights a week. And we're talking about intimate things and challenges and where people are at. And like, for me, it's fresh that week. It's like, if I had something going on with my wife that week, I shared about it. If I'm struggling something with something, you know, in my, my mental health or something I'm anxious about or worried about, or physically, like I'm struggling with, you know, my eating or my weight or my, you know, uh, working out or whatever it is, you know, we, we, we are, we're living present with these guys all the time. So for me, I think where you start getting tired is when you start working outside of your authentic self of who you really are and you start trying to be somebody else or try to fabricate for someone else that you're not participating in yourself. So for me, I'm, I don't, you know, I don't bifurcate. I don't like you know, go like, well, this is my work time. And with these guys, I'm going to be this guy or, or try to like work real hard. And this isn't like, man, when I'm, when guys are here, I'm enjoying it as though I'm a guest almost like I'm enjoying the river. I'm enjoying fishing. I'm enjoying a cigar. I'm enjoying intimate conversations. I'm enjoying conversation yeah. at the table. Like if you don't come to people and you don't actually share and be authentic yourself, like you're, you're done. People aren't coming back. They're not going to share. They're mm-hmm. not going to just come and, and, and let you prostitute, you know, them in front of yourself where, where you're not opening up in, in being authentic and being open yourself. So I think in that there is rest even for us uh, in the process of that. So obviously I think there's like physiological uh, limitations and just tiredness. I mean, we're up early in the morning and up late at night. I mean, it's not eight to five and you might, you might finish, you know, up with the lodge with guests at two in the morning, you know, around a fire, you know, guys are still up talking and doing stuff. So obviously there's, you know, there is important pieces of taking some time and, you know, getting away and spending some time with family or resting or taking some days off or taking a nap and, and really paying attention to that. But I think where leaders get into, into trouble is where they start 
you know, creating for something, something for other people that they're not participating in themselves. And um, especially a lot of leaders that we're working with are, are really in the spiritual uh, space where they're pastors or nonprofit leaders or they're leading, you know, some kind of an organization. And, you know, even all the business guys as well, I think they get into trouble because they've created multiple personas, you know, depending on what room that they're in. And we, we always say like, we want to be the same people in every room, like whether I'm coming home and hanging out with my family or whether I'm with my friends, whether I'm, you know, at the, at the table with guests. So, you know, I, I think we get that question probably asked more than anything, like who's taking care of you. And, um, you know, the people who come here take care of us, you know, the people yeah. who are guests here take care of us. They're kind to us. They're gracious to us. They listen to us. They care about us. They check in on us as we check in on them. So, um, you know, I think that they're, if you're not suited for it, if you're not um, gifted for it, I think you end up getting tired real fast. But when you're walking and you're gifting and you're walking in what suits you and fits you and you still have that blessing on your life, I think you can do incredible things that maybe somebody else who's not gifted or suited or blessed to be able to do that can't do, you know. And um, so it's a it's a unique place, I think, an environment in that in that regard. You know, Brian, you mentioned people realizing they're not the same person in every situation and it's kind of exhausting right like they have to put on this hat here and this hat here and um and perf it's performative right so as people have come out to your space and begin to unravel that and recognize that um what have you seen helpful or work for them in really um bringing alignment to their life into um uh, a unity of of who they are mm -hmm. or authenticity of who yeah. they are yeah well i think the biggest thing and you know i think you know i know for you guys you have a lot of different listeners but i think this is beneficial for anyone in the spectrum you know spiritually not spiritually um i think the greatest danger that you know leaders have in particular because we're focused on people who are leading things and you know who who are really have a potency about their lives from that perspective, but maybe you're just working in an office and you're not leading anything. I think this is true for everybody, but I think the greatest danger that we're trying to attack all the time is awareness. People are extremely, men are extremely unaware <laughs> of where they're at, where they're at in their marriage, where they're at physically, uh, where they're at uh, in their organization, uh, where they're at in, in, you know, what we call mental health. So trauma, uh, informed trauma, you know, um, childhood things. And so what you do is, you know, is you just go faster and you run harder and you perform even more, uh, basically because you don't want to slow down long enough to actually look at your life and assess or become aware of the things that are really going on in that area. And so for us, we're just trying to create time and space. So there's no programming. I mean, people don't even believe it when they come. They're like, uh, so there's like nothing. We're like, no, maybe <laughs> we'll see it. Maybe we'll see you at dinner. Now, our team is there, you know, set up to be able to facilitate all day. I mean, shoot, if you want to wake up and be on the river at six, you know, that's great. Uh, we'll do it. We can facilitate that. And if you want to sleep in till 11 and then lay around the lodge all day and read a book, that's great, too. Because what we're trying to do is create space. We think in time and space, you become aware of what's really going on. And a Green Greenleaf says something really fascinating in a book he wrote called Servant Leadership. He said, awareness uh, is not a giver of solace. When you become aware of what's going on in your life, when you become aware that you're 30 pounds overweight, when you become aware that your marriage is in trouble, when you become aware that your kids don't like you anymore, when you become aware that you have no friends and you're lonely as shit, like when you become aware of things, you don't, you don't, you don't feel greater peace. Awareness is not a giver of solace. He says, <laughs> he says, it's a disturber and an awakener. 
That's what he says. Awareness is a disturber and an awakener. And so we utilize the space. You know, everything we do is really just a, it's a Trojan horse. The whole thing's a farce. Like we created a Trojan horse to say, oh, come to Montana, come to Wyoming. Everyone's come to Montana. Everybody's watching the Yellowstone TV show. Come out and fly fish with us. And you will. I mean, we got freaking, you know, 15 drift boats and all kinds of guides and 20 horses and wranglers. And I mean, four chefs. And I mean, you're going to have this incredible Montana or Wyoming experience. But that's just a tool to get busy people who are unaware of the things going on in their lives into a place in a state where they can go like, man, I need to go home and work on this. I've been going so fast that I haven't even noticed or I've been too scared to really look at my life as a man and see what it is that I want from my life, what it is I want from my marriage, what I, what it is I want from my finances or what I want physically or, you know, some trauma that I haven't dealt with in my life that I need to actually go home and do something about that. So I think for us, it's really about creating space where uh, people can get a, can get awareness because I think most men most people are too scared to stop long enough and really look at their lives and go like you know what's going on with me and then the second part of that is i think oftentimes we get awareness in community we get awareness in relationship i can be like hey man when john said that last night at the table that made me think about when i was a kid and my dad was doing this or or when sean said that yesterday about his marriage like man that that kind of got me like maybe i'm struggling with that in my marriage or you know so there's something about like group time and community that still brings such a great awareness to us that we can't find in our you know by ourselves you can't go lock yourself up in a hotel room for four or five days and think you're going to get the same thing and you know there's so many things i could talk about around all that i mean just being on creation being on a river being in the mountains being in a place of solitude being under you know a blanket of stars at night and you look up and you remind how small you are there's so many pieces uh, you know our staff and the way they serve and care and honor every person that comes here and the way under that trust and that care, uh, you feel so taken care of that you actually come to greater awareness in, the, in those areas. So it's it's not one thing. There's a lot of things, you know, com- you know, there's a lot of complexity to what we do. And yet the, the feeling from a guest is very simple. It feels very simple on their side. It's complex on our side. And uh, there's a lot of things that we're doing. There's a lot of moving parts that we're doing to make it happen. Um, but it's a it's a beautiful marriage between what we're doing on our side and what the guests are experiencing on their side. Uh, but I think awareness is really a critical piece uh, for every person to find, you know, some way they can take some time in their lives to figure out who are they, where are they going, how are they doing, um, just to take that pulse, man, that temperature. Like, how are you doing? I mean, how many times in a day do people get asked, how you doing? How you doing, Sean? How you doing, John? Yeah. I, I, when people ask me, that, I don't even know how to answer that. Yeah. Good. Right. Like, how am I doing? Like, what? How, how's, how, how are my testosterone levels? Like, that's a whole conversation. And I can have a whole conversation about that because I get blood work. And you know, we put probably 400 guys through men's panels last year because I'm like, if you don't get the physical piece figured out first, like, I don't care what else you do. Like, if you're running at like 150 testosterone, like, I don't care what you do. Pray, get a, a consultant, get a therapist. It doesn't matter. You're going to feel like crap all the time. You know, like you actually have to like, you know, have a conversation about how am I doing in what area? Like, how's my marriage? You know, how's my mental health? Like, am I discouraged? Am I anxious right now? Am I fearful? Am I depressed? Like, what do you want to talk about? And so we get this all the time from people, like, how you doing? But it actually, like, really neuters us because we yeah. don't think people really care when they ask that question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what was your model growing up, right? So, you know, the the, the caricature of a, of a guy in Montana is, you know, rough, right? Like, a man's man, uh, you know, you don't talk about feelings. What... 
what were your models like in being a man and kind of being authentic and working through all this stuff uh, as you grew? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, my dad passed away a few years ago from a heart attack and I, you know, I, I remember speaking at his funeral saying, you know, my dad gave us a front row seat of what it looked like to be an incredible man, you know, a man of God, a man of character, a man who loved our mom, uh, a man of adventure. And, you know, the amazing part was my dad was a janitor his whole life. I mean, I remember mm. being, you know, second, third grade, going to elementary school all summer. We thought it was like a dream. We thought our dad had the best job in the world. Like we're freaking living in the gym in the summertime while he's, you know, stripping <laughs> and waxing floors and cleaning classrooms. And he'd make us work for a few hours vacuuming or something. And then we'd spend three, four hours just, you know, in the gym and, you know, those big umbrella parachutes and those yeah, little yeah. boards that you go around on and, you know, shooting hoops. And, you know, he was a great athlete and just, you know, a, a, a phenomenal man. Um, but I think, you know, from my dad, he taught us so much, um, you know, we didn't have a lot of money, so we didn't fly fish, which I fly fish. I didn't start fly fishing until my early twenties, but we fished, right. We went to lakes, we went to ponds, we'd fish for carp, we'd go hunting. We'd, you know, he spent, he just spent a lot of time with us doing outdoor stuff, but I think less, uh, you know, about being outdoors was just about, you know, being a man, being vulnerable, you know, loving our mom well, loving us well, being affectionate. Um, you know, we just, we received all, all of that. And, and I think because of that, you know, I was able to become, you know, a really healthy connector in that. I'm very affectionate with the people who come out here, you know, we're hugging guys, we're, you know, asking questions, you know, we're texting people, Hey man, I love you. I'm thinking about you. You know, that wasn't a, a, a big jump for me. I think I started mm -hmm. out ahead of where a lot of people are who didn't have dads that were, um, healthy connectors and who really taught them about affection. You know, I got a 12 year old son and man, I'm hugging on that kid all the time and kissing him and, you know, uh, telling him how much I love him and how proud I, I am of him. And, you know, uh, he's just an extraordinary young guy growing up out here around all these leaders and around all of our staff every day. And, um, you know, but I, I think for us, you know, um, we, I was just, I, I, I was so much further along, I think, into, into that healthy connection and desiring that for other people. And so that I think when I started fishing with those, you know, five guys in 2004, I wanted that for them. I wanted to connect with them. I wanted to be with them. I wanted to have deep conversations. I wanted to give them a hug. I wanted to listen to them. I wanted to say, Hey man, like, I love you. Like no matter what's going on with you. And, and with that group of five guys, like, man, we've walked through some stuff since 2004. You know, I'm still, like I said, still friends with all those guys. And we've been through all kinds of things, marriage things, lost things, job change things. Um, so, you know, who, who do you really have that you're walking through life with uh, such a, a major, you know, critical piece. But so, yeah, for me, you know, growing up at, you know, with my dad and kind of our, generation of and then here's the other thing i last thing i say about that is like i think everybody especially for men we, we live in pendulum to our fathers we live in a different pendulum swing from from where we grew up at so you know the way i was thinking about it is like if your dad's poor you want to be rich right mm -hmm. everybody whose dad's poor like you were like well, i'm not gonna be poor when i grow up or if your dad's rich you're like you want to like you know give money away or be a philanthropist or you know um, everybody kind of lives in this pendulum. And I think for me, like we were definitely, you know, didn't have a lot of resources financially, but for me, the pendulum that I swung on was my dad never felt like, or believed that his life mattered. He never mm -hmm. felt like his work mattered. And, and so for me, I never wanted to grow up and work a job yeah. that I felt like what I was doing didn't matter. You know, I didn't want to wake up and work a job where I'm like, you know, cleaning toilets and, you know, uh, you know, mopping floors and vacuuming. And that's not to demean anybody that's in the custodial business. I mean, shoot, I'm still cleaning lodges and toilets and making beds out here, you know, with all the guests that come out here. And 
Um, but, but what I did want to do is I wanted to definitely not be like him in one way. And that I wanted to believe that what I was doing with my life really mattered. And, um, for us, I mean, we can't really think of a greater way to do something that matters and taking care of people who are doing things that matter and helping them stay around for a long time. You know, our, our mission statement as an organization is we keep world changers in the game. And so we really go out and just try to find the most potent world changers on the planet that are doing the most important work and go like, how long can we keep these guys around? Um, because we know statistically that they're quitting in droves. And when, you know, someone who quits something that's been doing it for 10 years, that's really good at it. That's a huge loss to that organization. So, uh, but yeah, what, what an incredible guy he was. And so thankful to get a, you know, uh, follow in his footsteps. That's great. One thing Sean and I've picked up on uh, so far in doing this podcast is how much it changes the game for people when they see something modeled for them, right? So if they didn't see it modeled in their father, you model it for them, and then they see it, they experience it, they can pass it on to others when they've seen it and experienced it. Um, and the other thing that that we see is that is that we didn't all have dads like yours, right? And, uh, mm-hmm. but we can be what we wish we'd had, right? Like, yeah. instead of waiting for somebody else to do it for us, we can start giving it. And what I've found is like, when I give it, then I start seeing it open up another, I can be that model, even if I never had that model. Um, mm-hmm. What do you hear from the guys that you're working with on, on the models they had? And what does this experience do for them? And helping them be that person for others? Well, I mean, I think obviously, you know, I've done a lot of my own trauma-informed work and put myself in like, you know, hard places to uh, figure out, you know, what are the dark areas of my life and in my soul and in my thinking and, you know, my mental health. And I think a lot of those things are, you know, a a byproduct of our lives as, as children in the homes that we grew up in. And so I think for anyone listening to this, you know, this conversation that isn't taking that really seriously like that's dangerous territory and i think what i've heard you know and spent you know a lot of time with a lot of people who come out uh, to our place one on the trauma-informed you know therapeutic side as well as just every leader that we're around is if you're not doing your own work if you're not doing your own mental uh, work if you don't have a therapist if you don't have someone that you're really getting honest with and talking about and and someone who really understands it someone who has an education to go like how how you grew up and what you experienced as a child is still, you know, is still uh, playing a huge role in your life today. It's playing a huge role in your marriage today. It's playing a huge role in your business today, in your ministry, if you're, you know, in, in, on the ministry side. It's playing a huge role in how you're parenting your kids. And so for me, it's like, if you don't take that seriously, that's what I've learned with the guys that come out here, um, you're in trouble. Like, it's, you're a ticking time bomb, in my opinion. Um, and that has to go back to a, a well uh, informed therapist, uh, a well-informed counselor is going to, that's the first thing they're going to do. I don't know one counselor. I don't know one therapist. The, the first thing that they're not going to do is figure out who you were as a child yeah. and your upbringing and your family dynamics and how you grew up and what the healthy parts were and the unhealthy parts were. And so, you know, for me, that's just become, you know, extremely evident, extremely clear as I spend time with more and more leaders, more and more guests out here that the guys who do that work, are the healthier guys who have a greater joy in their life. They have greater happiness. They have greater fulfillment. They have greater purpose. And the guys who choose to not do that because maybe there's so much trauma from their past, they just don't think they can handle it. I would say, man, like nip that thing in the bud, like go and attack it and deal with it. And I've walked with 
many, many guys. I don't want to say hundreds, but it's it, so many guys. I, I don't know how many that I've helped walk into that place of, uh, of fear because of, you know, childhood trauma and, you know, unresolved things. And, and here's the thing. I feel like, you know, for, for me and for the guys that I've, I've walked through in this area, um, you know, to the extent that you're willing to go to those dark places and deal with them is the extent that you're healthy. That's just the bottom line. So yeah. super important. Yeah. Yeah. I, th I think what you talked about earlier um, is, is so critical, right? Like the, the, the process isn't going to be pleasant, right? Um, mm -hmm. Generally, right. It's, it's, even if you don't have, uh, you know, quote unquote, serious trauma, right? If you had a relatively normal um, unpack, the just the unpacking of who you are, who you were, who you are, where are you going, um, how it informs uh, you, it's just a heavy lift, right? So, what in the conversations I've I've had with some cl close friends and even family members is what's the point, right? So. I, I don't, I don't really have the capacity to add something else to my life right, right now. And I don't see how it's going to make me that much better. Right. So the, the, the cost uh, benefit analysis for a lot of men I know isn't there. Right. Do you find that like, like where a lot of guys that don't have heavy trauma or are in that space are a little bit resistant because they're like, well, yeah, I'm, I know what you're saying, but I just need to, I'm aware enough. <laughs> Yeah, Sorry. I think there's a level of arrogance there mm. and a level of fear and anger and arrogance there. And and it's just to me, those guys are just a ticking time bomb. It's just a matter of time. Because I don't care if you're the healthiest person in the world, you've got stuff going on. You have stuff you're dealing with. You have stuff you need to talk about. Right. So when I hear you know that from people, I go like, You're actually the person that needs the most. It's like when I hear somebody that wants to come on a trip out here, but they're too busy, I'm like, Well, my God, like this is this is like if you're too busy to come out here for a few days and be with some other men and fish and rest like then you're too busy right. if you're like you know at the point where you don't think you need that kind of care or somebody to really here's the thing what's the worst thing that happened you go in you talk to somebody three or four times you spend three or four hours and you go like oh hey, there's nothing there i mean why do you go to a, get a physical every year as a man like why do you let people poke around at you and check in on you and go like hey how are you feeling you're like many years you go into the doctor you get your physical and you're like hey I'm, I'm good but some year you go there you go like hey there's something sore right here and what do they say, like, well, let's take a deeper look at that. Like, well, let's send you somewhere else. Like, what's going on right right here? I mean, so I think it's just a regular thing that you go, like, I stay on top of this stuff, not because there's always something glaring, but yeah. because I, I, want a, I want a professional that understands that world to ask me the right questions and get down deeper into some areas that actually might find that there is something there. And every person listening to this, you know there's something. Like, yeah. I feel like I'm, I'm fairly healthy, and I know there's things today. I know there's things I could talk to somebody about today. And here's the thing. They're usually the same things. It's not different things that it was 10 years ago. It's the same things. <laughs> it's the same worries, the same fears, the same anxiety, the same uh, things that, you know, make me depressed or the things that I keep dwelling on because your brain will eventually dig a ditch into whatever that thing is because you think about it so often that that ditch mm -hmm. is just so deep that you always go back to the same place. So if you don't figure out how to fill that ditch in and we know, you know, again, just scientifically now, just, from a, 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 you know, brain standpoint, from a neurological standpoint, like we know that talking about trauma, talking about things, um, you know, is still the greatest uh, form of relief that you can get, you know, around, around mental health. And, you know, this, again, this is just one area. There's obviously a lot of areas of health. There's mental health, there's physical health, there's spiritual health. There's a lot of things going on. 
um, that we've got to have all those things come into alignment because all it takes is one of those areas being out of whack. You know, again, the physical health piece being out of whack and the other pieces are jacked. If your physical health is garbage and you're eating like garbage and you're not exercising, sure as shit, you're going to have mental problems or you got some spiritual issue going on. You don't think you're going to, that's going to affect your mental and, and your, and your, your, uh, you know, physical health. It is. So all these things are connected. So for us, we're trying to get people to talk about like, Hey, how are you going to be healthy in all these areas? You've got to keep all these balls in the air at the same time, because once one of them falls, you've got a whole problem on your hands. Um, so anyway, I, I just think for sure there's fear there. And anytime there's fear somewhere, we need to take a, a deeper look at it. If there's fear about going somewhere or talking to somebody or doing something, or even if it's a good friend, you know, usually it's because there's shame there. And we don't mm -hmm. want anyone to really know how we're really doing because we want to look good to other people for some reason. Like for men in our culture right now, it is an absolute uh, freaking tragedy uh, at how we're trying to keep up and look so good in front of people. And one of the things I'll say about our time together out here with people is we give people a safe place to talk about anything. I mean, it, it could be something so shameful, so embarrassing. And we literally just look at that person at the table when we're having our dinner conversations, we have these deeper conversations and we'll just say, John, thanks for sharing that, man. Thanks for saying that. Now, like, here's a book I read. Here's how you can fix that. Here's what I did. No, it's not that. We don't let people do any of that. Say, which go, man, thanks for sharing that. Thanks for having the courage to share that. Because when you have the courage to share that about your life and it was embarrassing and it maybe was shameful, like it gave me greater courage to like talk about what's going on in my life. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I think where there's fear, you got to like really look at that area and go like, why do I have shame and fear around this? Or why am I not taking this seriously uh, instead of getting some help so that I can be healthier? My whole thing is like, how happy do you want to be? How happy you want to right, be, right. how joyful you want to be, how much pleasure you want to have, how much freedom do you want to get in your life? Like to the extent that you're going to talk about it and mm -hmm. it's worse for our leaders because anytime you mix somebody's morality with their money, it's a recipe for hiding. And so when we have all these leaders that are, you know, quitting and failing and we're like, Oh, what happened with this guy or that guy? You know, I could name a lot of people on here that people would know their national names in the Christian space. And we wonder how they fell apart. It's like, well, because they had no safe place to go and talk and confess and that's, you know, having somebody to call and brag to. Sometimes you knocked out of the park. You had a big business deal come through. You, you know, had a, a great, you know, thing happen in your, in your professional life. And you don't want to call anybody because you feel embarrassed about it. Like, who are the people that you can call to and brag to? And be like, dude, I just killed this, man. Like, I can't, you wouldn't believe I've been working on this for five years. And man, it's just, we crushed this thing and this great victory or whatever. You know, to the extent that we're fully known is the extent that we're healed. And um, so if we don't create spaces like that for leaders and for men, like, and we haven't, uh, we're in a lot of trouble. And then we just find ourselves in a lot of spaces where there's communication or education being passed back and forth. That's not transformative at all. It's just right. data. It's information. It's knowledge. And we haven't gotten any further or any healthier in our culture or in our leadership because of all the years we've passed knowledge back and forth. We've been doing that for 25 years. We're, we're the most knowledgeable generation of all time and we're the weakest and we're the un most unhealthy period yeah yeah right um so yeah. reach i know <laughs> it's good man <laughs> you know one of my favorite movies is this movie magnolia and uh it's an old movie big ensemble cast and uh it's it's really the movie is about the sins of the father like that's it's a three-hour movie and it's got five main characters you see their relationships with their fathers over time. And there's this quote from the movie where he says, we may be through with the past, but the past is not through with us. Mm -hmm. And I think it really speaks to what you were saying about no matter what kind of background we came from, we came from imperfect parents. 
you know, you described your father and I think everyone, every man listening is like, man, I wish I was my dad. That sounds incredible. Um, but you share that you still have things. I mean, he was still an imperfect man, right? And you had other people that influenced your life that were imperfect and you've got your own challenges and struggles. Uh, I love the picture that you're painting of uh, friendship in the midst of all of that and what that can do to contribute to our healing. And one thing we hope from this podcast is that men will hear these stories and really begin to um, imagine the potential of what's out there and wonder, why don't I have that? Um, what, what do you yeah. suggest for men that like they don't have that and they need that? And obviously mm -hmm. a retreat to a uh, refuge would be amazing, but what are, what are some other ways just like in your regular life? Uh, obviously a faith community is maybe a place you can find that, but it also might be a place that you, you aren't safe to do that. Right. Yeah. What are some practices yeah. in your life in building those friendships? Yeah. Well, I, mean, I think we're living in one of the most lonely generations of all time. You know, I mean, we're, we work, you know, crazy hours, we go home, we, uh, you know, have a, an overabundance of hobbies. Many of those hobbies don't connect us deeper with other people. And um, there's no doubt in the data and just in uh, our own lives, we understand that like men in America are extremely lonely. I mean, we, we are suffering as a society uh, in, in an epidemic of loneliness amongst the men that we have. And so, um, you know, you, you go from college, you have friends in college, you get married, you have less friends because maybe your friends don't like your wife or your friends, your wife's friends don't like you or, you know, and, and then you have kids and you get even lonelier. And so, you know, the, 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 the sweetness of life is relationship and community. Maybe you're listening to this podcast and you're like, man, I'm just not a friend guy. I don't need a lot of friends. I'll tell you what, my dad never had any friends when I was growing up. He had like one friend, one guy. And I wouldn't even say they were like super close. He was just, you know, a very, um, he was just happy not having friends. He didn't care, you know, again, which is funny because I've got, you know, I'm, I'm worth, you know, 50 billion in friendships, you know, because I've invested so much, but, um, you know, in people, but I would say this, and I say this to people all the time is you don't have good friends because you're not a good friend. If you want to have good friendships and you want to have good friends, you got to be a good friend. Everybody's waiting for somebody else to call them, to invite them, to be a good friend. It's like, man, I text people all the time and they don't text back. I didn't, you know, my wife's like, doesn't it discourage you when you text people and they don't text you back? I'm like, no because I didn't text them because I wanted to get a response from them or I was going to feel better if they did text me back. I'm just texting them because I want to be a good friend. I want to let them know I'm thinking about them. I'm praying for them. I love them. You know, I've probably texted 10 guys this morning, just guys I'm thinking about when somebody comes to my mind, I text them. Hey man, I'm thinking about you. You good. You need anything. I'm here for you. You know, and if they text me back, great. And we'll have that conversation. But I think you have got to be proactive. If you're a man and you're busy and you have kids and you have a wife and you have a business and you have a job, you have a ministry, you know, you got all kinds of things going on. Like you've got to create space for friendship. You've got, I mean, it's so important. I mean, it, you, it should be a part of your weekly schedule, your weekly habits and not just out, you know, dinking around, you know, playing golf and never talking or, you know, doing something where you're never, you know, really interacting, but finding time where you can really sit down and create friendship to have conversations, to talk about things that are meaningful, to talk about things that are important, to talk about your marriage, talk about your own self, um, you know, I love it when the apostle Paul says, he says, carry one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You know, for those people who don't understand that they're listening, you know, that, that would be the law of love, you know, saying these are great principles. If you're, if you're not a, a, a Christ follower, you're not, you don't identify as a Christian. These are just great principles, no matter what to say, you know, carry it's in carrying one another's burdens that we actually fulfill 
the ability to love someone. And I can't fulfill someone. You know, I can't carry someone's burdens that I don't know what they are. Like if I don't know Sean's burdens, like I can't carry him. He would have to actually tell me what his burdens are so I can carry him. But for most men, and including myself, what you find out is sometimes you share your burdens with people and they don't step up and do anything about it. And you feel lonelier yeah. than ever. Right, you feel right. more isolated than ever. You go like, man, I told Sean about what my burdens were and then he didn't do anything to help me. And then I'm just screwed. I was stuck there. And we've all done that. Yeah, and yeah. so for me, it's like, it's about constantly putting yourself out there, knowing that you might be disillusioned, knowing that you might be left, knowing that you might not get the same, you know, reciprocal thing that you are looking for and the expectation that you have and continuing to be that for other people. Cause I'm constantly modeling to other friends of mine, what a friend looks like. And then eventually they start treating me that way. Sometimes you got to model something to somebody so they can understand what a friend looks like. So when you live in a friendless generation that people don't know how to be friends, you know, of course it's going to be a difficult thing. But I think again, friendship for men is just the sweetness of life. I mean, being married is such a special thing. It's such a gift. I love my wife. And I would say she is my best friend. And most men would say like, man, if you're in a healthy marriage, you're like, my wife's my best friend, which is great. But guess what my wife desires for me to have some male friends, some, some friends, because she knows there's things I will say to them that I won't say to her. There's things that they'll say to me that she's like, oh, thank God. You know, when Jerry <laughs> said that to you, I've been saying that for five years. And then Jerry says at one time, and it's like, you're like, yeah, Jerry said, and you, you know, change your whole idea you know, around it. So it's just healthy. It's healthy for our kids to see that we have friends. It's yeah. safe for our families. It's safe for our wives to see that we have friends that are pouring into us. Not just going like, oh, like some guy, they'll come over with his pickup and help me move when I have to. Like, that's one thing. But, you know, really having that deep, intimate friendship. I mean, you just have to, you've got to prioritize. It has to be maybe a central priority over your business. So I think it's, a, it's such a huge deal, massive yeah. deal. But it takes time. Right. And that's the thing is, you know, we actually have a construct. Everybody has a construct. Every business has a construct. Every organization, every nonprofit has a construct. We have a construct that we work through, and it's just five pieces. We say shared, authentic, mutual experience, which is kind of like the BS, the grab assery, the, the fishing, the fires, <laughs> the fun, the laughter. It's just kind of like just, you know, most people look at that piece and go like, oh, that's just such a waste of time. But you've got to create this shared experience, which leads to what we call, you know, what, what we know leads to friendship. Like, who was your best friend when you were a kid? He played, you know, T-ball, you played T-ball. He was in a basketball, you were in a basketball. He was, you know, trading cards, you like trading cards. You, you know, he was a neighbor. You guys ran around the neighborhood together. You spent tons of time together. Therefore, he was your best buddy, right? Your best friend. And we believe friendship leads to trust. Trust leads to what we call open-hearted living. Means like, here's all of me. You get to see everything in me. Like my open-heartedness goes like, here's all of me and everything that I'm about. And again, the Bible says the open-hearted living leads to healing. And so if you work that backwards, anything true has to be true both ways, right? You don't live a healed life. You're very, un very unhealed person because you're not living open hearted. No one knows you. You haven't let anybody into the deep parts of your life. And the reason that there's no one in your deep parts of your life is because you don't trust anybody. And the reason you don't trust anybody is because you have no friends. And the reason you have no friends is because what? You have no time. Friendship is spelled T-I-M-E, right? Just like with my kids, like, what do my kids want the most from dad? What's my wife want the most from her husband? Time. That's how you spell relationship. I have relationship with my kids because I carve out time to spend time with them, to play Barbies with my doll or with my daughter, to go on a walk or a hike with my son or go bike riding or just do anything to find time, spend time with them. My wife, same thing. She wants time from me. And so for us, like if we don't carve out time and think we're going to have deep friendships, you're dreaming. You're living on an alternate planet universe. It doesn't happen. It's, it's not possible. 
So if you don't start you know, creating large swaths of time to create friendships, and sometimes it just looks like being together. Like my closest friends, we can just be together and not talk. Drive, you know, freaking six hour drive and, you know, maybe an hour of that drive is talking. Like we can just be together in each other's presence. And in that, there's some level of healing and comfort that comes from that. So such a big deal. So on the on the practical side of this, who who came alongside you to get these up and going, right? Who was who who helped you launch all of this? And 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 how did you find well, those I mean, spots? It, it it would have to be our my friends, you know, like just my friends. Like, I mean, again, I started it with some friends, and then I started getting other friends from my church and in my small group and you know, my, my small group was the, the board for many years from, from my church, a bunch of young guys that were in the business sector that liked to fly fish, that believed in the vision. And, and they were on the board for many years. We all personally financially sacrificed in the early years, um, you know, and uh, even the guy who originally, you know, submitted our 501c3 paperwork in 2007 was a, a guy in the small group who was a CPA. And he was like, hey, I think we should do that. You know, so Again, I think uh-huh. everything comes out of relationship. Everything comes out of friendship. So it was, it was us, you know, it was us at that time. You know, I wasn't doing this full time. I was, had other jobs, was, you know, pastor at church for many of those years, had other businesses I was a part of that I started up, you know, I've got a very entrepreneurial spirit. And so, you know, we were like just taking our off weeks to, to run these trips and take care of people and serve people and help people and change lives and um, use volunteers for many, many years uh, to be able to run this. So it's just our friends. And so that, that's why they were all so fun. And they're still so fun. Like, you know, people come on a trip here, like it'll be the, the, the most fun trip of your year for sure. Maybe of your life. I mean, it's so fun. I mean, there's such a spirit and a value on everything we do around fun because we believe the only way you break a spirit is to come out in the opposite spirit. So if we live in a culture where things are heavy, life's heavy, you know, there's a lot at stake for a lot of people who come here and the life that they're living and you come here and then where it's another heavy experience, like right. it's gotta be freaking full of fun and laughter and joy and nonsense, you know, at that times to go like, you know, out here, like it's as if time stands still for the time that you're here. Like, it's just like, it's like a heaven, like there's no weight, you know, I think the very essence of Sabbath of rest is weightlessness that you don't carry any weight for, uh, for these days. Like it's as if you get to pretend that nothing is wrong in your life. And I think that's a totally okay thing to do because in that moment, you're letting God carrying whatever weight that you came in carrying. He takes that for a while. So you can live weightless for a while. And so everything I've done and everything I've started has been totally out of relationship with friends, friends doing it together. And out of that, something miraculous happens. Out of that, you get that five minute conversation and like, oh, you know, holy cow. But it's because you didn't go into it knowing you're going to have that five minute conversation. But after being together for two or three hours, just in time and space, something comes up. God yeah. does something. You know, you start feeling comfortable and you start saying things that you're like, man, I I wasn't planning on saying that. And now all of a sudden, like I'm saying this thing, you know, that feels really vulnerable and uh, it's because we took enough time, you know, with one another. So yeah, I just started with, with, with a bunch of people I love and I still love those guys. I'm so thankful for the, you know, the sacrifice that they made to get us to where we're at today. Well, cool, man. I want to respect your time. Uh, that the hour is coming to a close, but um, no, yeah, I got to get to the river. Got to get to the river, baby. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Uh, I mean, important, uh, important question here. What, what flies are we working with right now? This time of day, this time of year, this river, what are yeah. we looking at? Oh man, we're, we're, we're going to be fishing a bunch of midges today. A little tiny size, 18, yeah. little tiny midge, man. Like maybe some sow bugs, some scuds, um, little tiny flies, man. It's, it's, it's a quite a sport when you watch a, a trout, you know, eat a, a little, I mean, a fly that you can barely see 
and it's floating down the river and they eat that darn thing. It's just miraculous. It's a really special sport. So uh, that's anyway. a conversation for another day, but fly fishing, such a special, special sport. Well, man, I, I, uh, I love what you have to say. I'm glad you're doing this work. You know, there's, it's just, uh, it's always encouraging, right? Like Montana, North Carolina, Texas, there are guys out there that are, that are, uh, doing the work and, um, are trying to be good friends. So it's kudos to you, man, from taking it from just your small world of friends and kind of extending, casting that net to, a, to, a the broader, the broader audience to, to help guys and kind of create that space. So, uh, we, we definitely appreciate that. Well, it's a real honor to get to do what we got to do. And I don't know if anyone has a greater life than we do. We're just feel, we pinch ourselves every day. It just feels like such an honor and a blessing to get us served was no greater privilege. So yeah, we're thankful for it. Yeah. Sounds great. My resume will be in the mail tomorrow. And <laughs> yeah. Always, always looking for, always looking for a fresh guide out here, John. <laughs> fantastic. Fantastic. Well, Brian, thank you so much for uh, taking a few moments away from paradise out there. Uh, we'll let you get down to uh wet a line in the stream and uh, look forward to hopefully seeing you sometime over the next year up there. Sure. Uh, we'll be joining you. So Sean, yeah. uh, on your behalf, Brian, thank you again. And uh, for those of you that are listening, hang around for just a few seconds and we'll be right back with after the interview. We are live. We're back. We are back, guys, for after the interview. Um, great time talking with Brian. John and I both want to hop on a plane right now and head up to Montana. I know John does even more so than I am because fishing fly fishing is nothing nothing better for this guy <laughs> i love it well i love the mountains i love all of it and so much of what he talked about are really foundational to who we are and why yeah. we started the known experience and what our men's trips are about as well right like yeah. uh i feel like we really resonate together on that um yeah yeah What's I mean, I, to you? listen it, it, i mean it was just cool to hear you know a guy I mean, even me, I'm, you know, a middle-aged guy. And I think all the dudes from Montana are just, you know, just man's man. And, uh, but to hear him talk about just the, the way that uh, it started and who his dad was for him and, and modeling that and just kind of the simple principles he laid out, right. It's not rocket science, but that's the beauty of it. Right. And being a good friend um, just requires time and perseverance and, um, so just a lot of good little gems uh, throughout that I think are really important, you know. I was surprised at his emphasis on therapy. Uh, you know, we've mentioned mm -hmm. it a lot on here. And that, you know, the guys that are afraid to or don't want to or don't think they have the time or don't think it's going to help them or they don't think they have any problems. Um, and I, I wanted to connect the dots on that for so anybody who's listening that says, man, I do want to give that a shot, give that a try. Um, they might be wondering, how do I even get started? It can seem like an overwhelming task to just get started. And um, I would say just, I mean, uh, to quote Nike, <laughs> just do it, man. Um, you know, you kind of got a date around. Uh, to find the right therapist. I'm on my second one in Dallas. And the first one wasn't bad. It just wasn't the best fit. And I, I asked around to some people and got some referrals. But um, you could easily uh, just go to a website like BetterHelp 
where you can just start with somebody virtually. And, um, you know, if, if the first person isn't a great fit for you, then try somebody else. It's like no harm, no foul. And, um, you know, um, I would just say do something right. And a lot of it is just having somebody you can have that conversation with, or somebody that will ask interesting questions that really help you kind of get more to the heart of what you might be wrestling with or not even aware that you're wrestling with. So I would just say, do something, uh, something's better than nothing. And if the first one's not a great fit, try somebody else, maybe even go through your insurance company and uh, see what they have available as far as like telehealth. I know through mine, they have a lot of options through telemedicine. So what do you think? Uh, what do you think about friendships in therapy? Right. Do you think uh, like, uh, is it easier to go to therapy than it is build a friendship for guys? I I don't think that's even a equal uh, conversation comparison. So mm. um, I think therapy is like going to a medical doctor. And I mm. think friendship is like somebody that helps you in your health. You know, so it's like, hey, I'm having like knee problems. Should I you know, exercise with Sean three times a week, or should I go to an orthopedic surgeon? I should probably do both, right? Yeah. So one, they both require commitment. Yeah, they both require vulnerability. So I don't think it's either or I just think that as great a friend as you are, Sean, uh, there's, you know, such a vast knowledge of trained professionals that you don't possess. Right. Um, that are aware of little indicators and things that might help guide me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was interesting to hear him say that they're, they really just create space. They don't mm -hmm. really force you to do anything. Um, when you're there, uh, I would love to see the case studies of that, right? Like how guys, if guys change when they go back, does their schedule change or do they just look forward to the next trip to refuge? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, you know, like what, what, what's the percentage, right? That's a, that's a data side of me. Like what do they really change after three days? Um, because it takes a while, right? When you live a busy lifestyle, I never understood when my dad or other men were like, Oh, it takes me three days just to get in vacation mode. Right. So if it was, if it was a week long vacation, dad wasn't present until day four. Right. Mm -hmm. And then he like visibly was kind of there um so and then day five he starts worrying about going back to work <laughs> right so you have like a good day in the yeah. <laughs> but um but you know what i'm saying I, I think like getaways are great but it's um guys are so we're a really slow start with this stuff right mm -hmm. we're a really slow start um and i know without my friendships uh retreats just wouldn't be good enough for me in actually making life change or maybe it's just been a long time and and stuff like that was, was all I needed to really start, start the change. But, um, it would be fascinating to see high level guys, um, and what their, what their true takeaway was in their relationship. Yeah. I mean, I think I have another friend that does this out in Colorado with horses with like high level execs and gets them around a 2,500 pound animal that they can't control and how it changes their lives. I think we're we're often looking for like a quick fix, some experience or something that will change us when we go back home. And yeah. I, I just don't think that's the reality of it. 
But I do think what I have begun to believe in more and more is just a, a repeated exposure. Right. So the more I get away and experience what it feels like to breathe and experience that space, the more I long for it when I'm in busyness. Right. I, I'm aware that there is something better out there. Because if you don't get a chance to go out and experience it, you're not going to long for it. You're just sure. going to accept this is the way it is. Right. So I think the two things that really hit me that um, that he said was, one, uh, making space for friendship, which I've talked about this before, and I, I know I've said it's important before, but it's just, it's so easy, even if that's your value, to get caught up in the busyness of life and not make space for it and not be persistent about it. Right. Uh, a, I've got to make space for it. B, I've got to be persistent about it. I've got to just keep asking people, and I've got to, you know, everybody don't be offended if people are busy find somebody else and then lastly making space for me alone in silence in solitude out in nowhereness you know like that is important because that's where your mind kind of has room to like let some things go and really listen and hear yeah 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 it was it was somewhat convicting uh when he was talking about, you know, just keep being a good friend, even if it's not reciprocated. Um, that's really tough for me. Because yeah. when you reach out, reach out, and you're like, wow. You know, there's always, uh, it's hard. I, I don't know how else to say it. But when people don't reciprocate to keep going mm -hmm. back, oof, that, that takes a real commitment to to the process. And because I, I, you know, I'm not a quantity guy, right? You know, he's, he's got, um, there's a lot of guys that come through there. So his Rolodex is probably deep, but, um, and that's how it is. That was a trap of, for me, even at subculture, right? When you know everyone and we kind of talked about, you know, you're surrounded by people, but you're still lonely because there's not true friendships, right? I got numerous texts, but it's not, there's nothing there's just certain people that you want to be friends with. You know, I, I'm not just looking for anyone to reciprocate friendship, right? It's gotta be, um, someone that, that I'm really into, um, for X, Y, and Z. And, um, but maybe that's the issue too. Maybe that there's a selfishness there, right? I only want to be friends with people that I want to be friends with. <laughs> uh, no, I think there's different levels for everything. There's that reciprocity, you know, of, there's people you invest in because you know there is a return in it for you. And then there's yeah. people that you invest in knowing you're not going to expect anything in return. And I think that's okay, you know. Yeah. I've learned a lot about that and things not being reciprocated from you because I message you so much and you ignore me and don't reply. And so I've learned to just be persistent in that. He's lying. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But, uh, you know, I will say, you know, you sent me a very kind text on Easter, just thanking me for my friendship and what uh, what our friendship means. And uh, guys don't do that a lot for each other. And I was really grateful for that. And I, on my way back uh, on Easter, driving back from my folks' place, I talked to you and I talked to another friend, uh, Terry Booty, our friend uh, from West Palm. And, um, you know, both of you guys, when we got off the phone, both of you said, I love you before I said it. And later in the day, I was like, you know what? That's pretty great. Like, that's, I'm grateful for the friendships that I have cultivated 
that um i know we love each other i know that i mean you know that everybody loves to throw around the term ride or die i know either of you guys i could call you from anywhere with any kind of need and you would do anything that you could do to help me and um that's um that's important and it's not yeah. just in a time of crisis i know it because you're there for me all the time so grateful for that all right theme for this episode friendship simple <laughs> simple and important friendship and time yeah i do think that's the the currency of friendship or relationships is time whether that be your spouse your coworkers, your friends the currency is time and there's no substitute for that investing yeah. that time so yeah anyway guys uh thanks for listening uh like share subscribe go tell your mom your uncle uh whoever and um we we definitely appreciate that and this week we hope you continue to experience the power of being known for john it's been sean we'll see you later